Hello everybody, this is our fourth sermon looking at Paul's letter to the Philippians. The title for our series is How to Follow Christ in a Challenging World. And the advice we're going to get this week is to live in unity. The passage we are looking at is Philippians chapter 2 verses 1 to 11. I'm sure that many of you will have had the pleasure of seeing an orchestra perform. Maybe it was live in concert or through watching the proms on the TV. Maybe it was your children performing in a school group or paid virtuoso musicians. Listening to classical music is one of the great pleasures in life and I for one cannot wait until it's allowed again and touring groups return to Isla. What is the purpose of an orchestra? It is to make beautiful music that brings delight to those who are listening. How do they achieve this aim? Through great unity and teamwork. An orchestra is a complicated collection of individual parts. There are four sections, woodwind, strings, brass and percussion. Within each of those sections there can be five or six different instruments of which there are multiple of each. Each set of instruments is split into parts, so there'll be a first violin and a second violin, for example. To give you a feel for how big a team an orchestra can be, in a symphony orchestra there can be well over 40 musicians playing at the same time. Now clearly for an orchestra to work, discipline, understanding and humility are required. Otherwise it would just be a cacophony of noise. One musician cannot play louder than everyone else, just so they'll get heard by their family in the audience, because that will ruin the piece of music for everyone. For all instruments in an orchestra, there is a time to play up and a time to play quietly and allow others to carry the melody. The very best orchestras are so in tune with one another, so balanced that it sounds as though there are less musicians playing than there actually are. There is one final piece to an orchestra that allows everything to fall into place and for beautiful harmony to be created. Every musician has their eyes fixed on the one same person. They are all following the conductor. The conductor sets the tempo. The conductor adjusts tone and balance as the music goes on. The conductor brings instruments in at the right time and when necessary asks others to lower the volume slightly. Following the conductor is vital. They are the one who knows exactly how the music should sound. If a musician takes their eyes off the conductor for a moment, things can start to go wrong. If for some reason they think they know better than the conductor, they will soon find themselves out of the group. I think we will find this illustration of an orchestra a helpful one for understanding this passage. As the church, we are to live in unity with one another. As the church, we are to find that unity by keeping our eyes fixed on the conductor. We are to follow our leader, the Lord Jesus Christ. Before we go any further, let us pause to remember why Paul was writing this letter to his friends in Philippi in the first place. The church in first century Philippi were facing many challenges. There was a wave of persecution sweeping through the region. Paul himself was writing from jail. 
Great pressure was being placed on these young Christians to recant their newfound faith. The church was also a small minority in a city full of vice. As a proud Roman colony, Philippi contained the idolatry of emperor worship, as well as the immorality and excess of the Roman way of life. It was a difficult location for believers to live a holy life, as asked for by God. Then there were the heresies springing up and the false preachers looking for attention in Paul's absence. As a young church, the Philippians were potentially susceptible to these. They were a real danger to the future of the church and the preaching of the gospel. They had to be resisted. Finally, there was the simple element of disappointment. The Philippians loved Paul. They looked up to him. To hear of him in prison, possibly facing death, would have come as a real blow. It may have made some of the believers doubt and question the faith that Paul had passed on to them. All in all, then, these were very challenging days to be a follower of Jesus. Paul was all too aware of that fact, and so he wrote this letter with great passion and love, doing all he could to encourage the church and build them up so they would make it through the storm. On Isla in 2021, we do not face the same level of violent persecution that the Philippians did. Fortunately, we're not likely to end up in prison for our faith. But as we have recognised throughout this series, we do face similar challenges. Our government does not always make decisions that we agree with. Some of us are finding it difficult to know who to vote for this coming week. Our society is full of immorality. There may not be emperor worship, but open a magazine, turn on the TV, browse the internet, and you will soon come across idolatry in the form of money, sex and power. There are certainly false teachers about, and a general watering down of the gospel. And coming out of this pandemic, we know well the disappointment and disillusionment that comes with trauma. So we also need to take on board Paul's heartfelt advice, for we too will benefit from it. Our passage today began with the word, therefore. Whenever a Bible reading starts in that way, we need to know what comes immediately before it in order to fully understand what we are reading. Having read Paul's opening greeting to the Philippians and a little of his personal testimony from prison, we have reached the section of the letter where Paul is giving his most earnest advice. It began in verse 27 of chapter 1 with these words. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then I will know that you stand firm. We saw last week how in their time of crisis, Paul wanted the Philippians to remember the good news of the gospel by which they were saved and to hold on to it. More than that, they were to be inspired by it. They were to stand firm against the challenges they faced. They were to keep pressing on with gospel work, sharing the good news about Jesus in every way they could. In our passage today, Paul wants to return to that message in order to reiterate a certain part of it. For the church to stand firm amid all the challenges they faced, they were going to have to do it together. Living in unity was vital if that embattled church was going to survive. Yet as Paul writes this passage, he demonstrates that he was not naive. Christian unity is neither automatic nor easy. It requires effort. 
It requires the making of a conscious choice. The reason for that is because Christians are human beings and therefore they're not uniform. As we know ourselves, we are all different with different tastes and preferences, different passions and views. Some of us prefer loud, upbeat music to worship with. Others prefer quiet reflection, sometimes with no instruments at all. Some of us prefer demonstrative pulpit-banging preaching that lasts half an hour. Others of us prefer gentle encouragement for a few minutes. Some of us like to feel led by a minister. Others want to participate more fully themselves. Some of us will vote for a party supporting independence this week. Some of us will vehemently vote against that. This will always be the case within the church. We are a diverse people. That is the way God made us. He takes delight in our variety. But unity is still called for, so it must be worked at. In our passage today, Paul urges his readers to take active steps towards living in unity. And he does this by getting them to think. He gives them four reasons as to why unity is important. The first point Paul makes is that church unity is important because in Jesus we have already been made one. Unity is the product of the gospel. When God asks us to be united, he is asking us to be what we already are in his sight, and that is one in Christ. Listen to what Paul reels off in verse 1. We are all one in Christ. When the father looks at us, he sees his son. When he looks at his son, he sees us. All of our identity as Christians is now found in Jesus. We are loved by Christ. We are all recipients of his grace together, all beneficiaries of the same cross. Now we are his brothers and sisters. We are all lived in by the same Holy Spirit. How can we reject other Christians when God himself is pleased to live inside of them? We are all looked on by the Father with tenderness and compassion. No bias, no favourites. God just sees us all as his beloved children. Paul could not make it any clearer. We are to live in unity because that is how we really are. To live divided is to totally deny what the gospel has achieved. We have been made one in Jesus. The second point Paul makes is that unity is important because that is the destiny of all creation. All things are being brought together under the reign of Christ. Indeed, one day even heaven and earth will be brought together as one when the risen Jesus returns in glory. This is the great mission of God as we're thinking about on Sunday evenings. And this is the purpose that the church is working towards. Paul recognises that all Christians within the church are different, with different preferences even perhaps when it comes down to it, even on how we do church on a week-to-week basis. But even with that variation, Paul is eager for the church to unite around one goal in life, one shared purpose. Listen to what he implores in verse 2. Please, Philippians, in your diversity, be like-minded. Agree on the overall aim for the church. Have the same love in your heart. Share the same desire. Be in one spirit and of one mind. 
Do you see what he's saying? Come on, Philippians, be after the same purpose as one another. The shared purpose of an orchestra is to play beautiful music that delights the listeners. The shared purpose of the church is to join in the mission of God. To exalt Christ and prepare the world for his arrival. To tear down the barriers that stand in the way of the gospel and see that it is preached to all. One day, as our reading finished by telling us, every knee will bow before the Lord Jesus. We have to play our part in speeding that day. If God is working at reconciling all things, all creation to himself, part of our witness as the church needs to be our ability to unite with one another. After all, in eternity, unity will be all there is. So reason one for unity was that we have already been made holy. Reason two is that the world is becoming one. That is where everything is headed. So let us share that purpose today. The third reason Paul gives for unity is perhaps the most obvious. Two are better than one. We need each other and we are stronger together. In a wave of persecution, a church that stands together, prays together, worships together and cares for one another will last. A church where every member only cares for themselves will fall. In a world where we are a minority, a church that pulls its resources, encourages all to use their gifts and shares the load of ministry will make an impact on their community. A church where people keep what they have to themselves will not grow at all. No one will come to hear of Jesus. In an orchestra, you need the full variety of the instruments. Otherwise, the piece is less interesting and dull. You need the drums to shake your seats and the flutes to tickle your ears. The most exciting pieces have moments of both. But as we said at the beginning, for an orchestra to work well, there needs to be discipline. Every musician must be humble and unselfish. Every musician must be trying to bring the best out of everyone else in the orchestra. Paul believes the same for the church. Listen to what he says in verses 3 and 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather in humility value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Paul wants his readers to know that unity is important because two are always better than one. But for that unity to be achieved, each one of us in the church need to put our fellow believers before ourselves. You don't need me to tell you that that is not always easy. But it is so important. Everything falls apart if we don't. So far then, Paul has given his readers a lot of theory. He's made them do a lot of thinking. Unity is important because we've already been made one. Because everything is becoming one. And because two are always better than one. But Paul knows that theory remains exactly that. Just theory. Unless it is acted upon. So now he comes to his fourth and final point, and it is the most important of all. In fact, to make it, Paul quotes a hymn with some of the most sublime lyrics in the whole of the Bible. Verses 5 to 11 are verses we should treasure as Christians. The point Paul makes is this. Unity is important because as Christians, Jesus is the one we follow. And Jesus lived the ultimate life of service, always putting others before himself. 
In Jesus, God became flesh. He came to our earth to show us how to live, to show us what was possible. Now, Paul wants us to flesh out our theory and put unity into action, to start to live it. In the imagery of our opening illustration, Jesus is our conductor, our perfect example, the one who we are to set our eyes upon and follow all the days of our life. Let us listen to these wonderful verses again in full. Let us allow the power of them to hit us once more. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We are to act in our relationships within our church in the same way Jesus acted towards us. Jesus was God, but he did not exploit that position to his own advantage while they used the power he had to help other people, to help us. Jesus, who rightfully had all the riches and majesty of heaven, laid all that aside, made himself nothing, and became a servant to the poorest of the poor. None of those words mean that Jesus stopped being God when he came to earth. Rather, he demonstrated his true divinity in his service. Loving others is what God does. It is who he is. And therefore, it will forever be the highest ideal for our living. Jesus was even prepared to go through with the agony and humiliation of the cross so that our sins might be forgiven and the Father's plan for saving his world might be achieved. Sadly, our world today sees service as weakness. They think you have really made it in life when you have people serving you. This passage shouts aloud, not so, to that. It is quite the reverse. The final verses tell us that the Father was so pleased with Jesus' actions that he vindicated his sacrifice by raising him to greatness. Now Jesus is king, reigning over all, and one day all people will bow at his feet. Those that have believed will kneel to receive their heavenly crowns. Those that have rejected him will kneel in one act of worship, giving Jesus the honour he is due before they are cast away. The Bible is very clear. Servanthood is the path to greatness. Humility, the route to God. Unity in the church is important because Jesus is the one we worship. These are the values he lived by and he asks us to follow his example. To conclude then, today we have heard Paul urgently calling the church in Philippi to unite. Unity is what would enable them to stand in the challenges they are experiencing. Unity is what would enable them to keep spreading the gospel even in the face of opposition. As we read this same letter today, the message is just as relevant. We need to unite to get through the days we are living in. Remember, through Christ we have been made one. In the end, the world will become one. Two are better than one, and Jesus is the one we follow. 
Let us not allow this sermon to remain just theory. Let us put it into action just as Christ did. Let us love one another, pray for one another, resource and support one another. Let us pick one another up and urge one another on. Let us pool our talents and use them to make the biggest impact on either we can. May this church become like a great symphony orchestra conducted by Christ, playing the melody of the gospel for all our community to hear.